Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. I've got a helicopter going overhead. I'm up on Ben Buckler. And for those of you I coach and those of you who love uh, uh, growing your life and inner wealth and inspiration and bringing more love into this beautiful world, uh, you will remember this spot. It's, uh, it's my office, Ben Buckler, out here in the, uh, on the cliffs, the Walker office. Yes, it is. Uh, there's no other word for it. And uh, well, it's a windy day. I hope my microphone's nicely insulated from the wind. I've got my back to it. Uh, I thought the temperature was actually quite warm today, but standing here in the wind, I can honestly say that the current uh, uh, um, um, real feel, uh, as measured by my weather app, is accurate. It's seven degrees C. And um, that's not as cold as Melbourne, but it's cold. What is leadership? I wonder if we can all just take a moment. We, if you're a mum or a dad, you lead a family. Uh, if you're a business person, if you're a rock band, there's a leader of the rock band. If you're a tennis club, there's a leader of the tennis club. You know, everything has a leader and that's the way nature intended it. Uh, um, everything's hierarchical and it ends up at a point which is a single, which is at that single point in leadership, there is only one. In a family where mum and dad decide that they're going to share the leadership, uh, it's called in business language a matrix structure and there's nothing worse, nothing more complicated and more prone to uh, dis disruption than a matrix structure and when mum and dad decide to lead uh, the family that's the equivalent of having two CEOs or two captains or two anything leading the team uh, at any one time and people not quite knowing which one to uh, appeal to or to ask advice from and when that happens when leadership becomes what I call blunt, where two people become leaders instead of one, the followers become splintered because they don't know who, who to put their trust in, who to put, who's going to make the final decision, who's going to be the, the one. But what they're asking is who has the most certainty. Now, in a relationship, mum and dad will fight, fight bitterly for the certainty of the family, they will fight in, uh, in not in a, a spiritual language, they'll fight in a, 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 a literal language or in emotional language, or they'll fight through trying to get the um, children on board um, in defiance. And so this is apparent most of the time when uh, people split up and they do the sharing thing, you know, on and off. Um, the court used to rule one uh, parent had custody and the other one was compliant. Uh, and I think that was a healthier uh, dynamic than the current thing, which is to shared custody of kids. And therefore both parents have freedom to lead. Um, and then the kids are living in a matrix structure in which if it's week on week off one parent one week says one thing and the other parent the other week says another thing and then you get the complication that each of those two parents have 
have new partners and so now the kids have four reporting points to uh, align with and those four point, uh, uh, aligning points are, uh, consider themselves all to be relatively equal and now you've got four leaders and that's a matrix times two. It's called a, a quad matrix and a quad matrix doesn't work. Um, it never has and never will. It defies the laws of nature. It defies human conditioning. It may work for the four at the top, but it doesn't work for those who follow. And so I think uh, even when a couple uh, are split up, they really need to, uh, that what they need to realize is they're no longer the dominant parent as they might have been before. They are now in a complex collaboration. And what we need to do then is articulate values and articulate behaviors that we agree are what we would coach our children to become and have those written even when the kids are very young so that there is a, a there's a cooperation between split parents and cooperation between a blunt leadership and the culture or the values statement becomes the leader so in an organization where there's a, a passive leader and that leader doesn't want to assert themselves, they're not that style of person, what they'll do is they'll get the, the, the team or the human resource department to put up a set of values or leadership qualities or a vision statement to try and replace themselves as the pointy end of the leadership pyramid. Now, I get that. Uh, I get that we have multiple personalities in the world and I do get that uh, different people lead different ways so it's not that there's a right and a wrong here but I think what there can be is uh, um, the use of uh, a vision statement or the use of a value statement or the use of something else in order to replace the human factor of leadership which is still okay as long as the vision statement and the value statement is uh, shocking. It's, it, it, as long as it speaks louder than the inner voice, louder than the outer voices, as long as it speaks louder than the voices of those below it. In other words, it's, it's enforced with incredible uh, regime and, and, and uh, enforcement. So one way or another, the leader ends up having to be dominant because if they're, if they're put into the role of enforcing a set of rules, um, they become very much a right wing. They become very much like a quiet achiever, but the rules become the voice. And then the enforcement of the rules become really their voice. And that enforcement uh, would need to be quite uh, dominant to replace the human aspect of leadership. So sometimes we can distill the leadership qualities that we need to uh, portray in order to encourage people to follow us. Sometimes we need to step up into this leadership role with our children um, because there is no collaboration with a partner or because there is no written rules that are clear and because we don't want to be the company that has really tight, strict and uh, un unworkable rules around human behavior, such as a government department or uh, a big organization like Telstra, we, we want our 
our human, human, human side to negotiate a little bit the variables around being a, 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 a worker and that gives people creativity and engagement and all the great words that we know. And so we need to emulate the qualities that will cause people to want to follow us or volunteer to follow us. Now, on the, on the, on the work we've done so far, that uh, I've been really clear on it, in, for a company to be inspired and to get the best out of their product and their people and their market and their, and their joy and their contribution to the world, there are three things that are key. One, inspire the individual. Now that means each individual needs to have some form of understanding of the difference between motivation, which is chasing rainbows, dangling carrots and all the other stuff that donkeys use to get, we used for donkeys to get them up a hill. We hang a carrot on a stick about a meter in front of their face and they just can't reach it, but they keep chasing it up the hill. That's motivation and inspiration is where at the top of the hill, the donkey has green grass and it just enjoys the walk and it takes a nibble on some grass all the way up. I, uh, talking about donkeys, I, I do remember uh, climbing a volcano, the side of a volcano in Java on one of my really early business trips. Um, I loved going up the side of this volcano just outside of Surabaya and it was called uh, Mount Bromo and they used donkeys. The, the Bromo was famous because of the fertility of its soil uh, for growing cabbage and so most of the donkeys ate cabbage. So I really think I understand where the concept of sports training called fartlek came from. It came from Bromo, from the donkeys, because every step the donkey made, it <laughs> made a fart and every donkey did the same. So when you went up for the one and a half hours on the back of a donkey up the very steep side of Mount Bromo. It was a tune something like and next to you was a donkey and these poor animals would stop and eat another cabbage and fuel up and fart their way up the mountain. So uh, Godness knows how did we get to this point? We had to emulate the qualities of leadership and sometimes it requires us to, to take responsibility, I suppose, for, for the, the, the energy, for who we are as a leader. Um, and because there's so much going on, there's so much noise and there's so much you know, uh, variability and there's so much emotion and there's so many different human aspects of a leader. It's really important to pin those qualities down and start trying to hone them. And remember that these are what make people follow us. They, they follow us because they're inspired. So inspire the individual is the first thing. And inspiring the individual means differentiating between motivation and inspiration and motivation and inspiration. Inspiration is there's green grass at the top of the hill but the journey towards it is fabulous. And motivation is, I don't give a shit about where I am, I'm chasing uh, something that's just in front of my nose and I'll get it if I work more. That's simplistic. In, uh, inspiration is when the inner voice speaks louder than the outer voices. And that means that people in a company would need to understand the difference between emotion and their vision. 
And that's not hard to teach because it's all about the law of balance and all we need to do is take a walk around a park to, to discover this big, big difference. It doesn't mean that it sticks like glue, it means that we know the difference. The second part is a balanced corporate vision. You know, I've done many vision processes with organisations over the years and none is better than to draw a circle, divide it into seven areas of life and ask, the, uh, ask individuals in a room what this company means to that aspect of life, what it means socially, what it means uh, spiritually, what it means financially, but not only to, uh, to the company, but to the employees and to the world at large. And to get some sort of holistic vision written up and distill that down into a bunch of words that people can hook their coat hanger onto is very, very important. And then the final step is to make sure that the individual inspiration is linked to the organization's balanced vision. And that's quite easy because it's, it's almost automatic. So inspire the individual, balance the company vision and link the two is, is how we build an inspired business. But an inspired business requires an inspired leader and a leader needs to know what are the intrinsic qualities of a leader that make people trust them, that make people want to follow them. <clears throat> and they are four words that are, have been with me for nearly 50 years and, and I've applied them in both indigenous and corporate environments, in personal lives, in relationships, to help people step up where the opportunity is for them to step down. In other words, where there is blunt leadership, where there is duality in a, in a family, where there's not collaboration in a partnership or a leadership, where the kids are messing up and the parents are not on the same page uh, because of their egos or because of whatever and they want to be equal in their, in their tutelage or their leadership of the family. These are the four words that I use and they're called gratitude, presence, certainty and love. And there's a lot of work goes into being grateful, certain, uh, grateful, present, certain and love. Uh, firstly, grateful. Grateful for the past. It's not grateful for anything else. It's grateful for the past. If there's anything, if you d throw a bucket down a well with a, um, with, a, with a rope on it and it comes up with water in it, that means there's something in the past that is still influencing very much uh, the quality of your leadership and the quality of your parenting. People say, oh, my, my parents were too hard on me. My parents were too soft on me. My first relationship didn't work because la la la. You know, that's not gratitude. That's understanding, it's acceptance, it's all the, it's forgiveness, but it's ridiculous. It's a waste, a complete furphy. It's, uh, it's, a, it's concreting over a dead body and that body's gonna stink whether you like it or not. So gratitude is gratitude for the past. And we're continually, by everyday life, being tested on it. Are you grateful for the past? Because here's an event that might trigger your body memory. Here's an event that might trigger your memes. Here's an event that might make you feel stupid. And the only way we know whether the past event is triggering our current reality is to have affirmations that are solid. I'm a genius and I apply my wisdom. We talked about in the last podcast, and then one day you're walking down the street saying, God, I'm a dummy. You know something from the past has come up and lurched into the reality of the present and is screwing up your leadership and your life and your parenting. So gratitude for the past is a big piece, big chunk of work. It's clearing out the well. 
And the commitment to do that on a daily basis is much smarter than doing it um, at the most expensive seminar on earth, which is a divorce. So there's one. Two, presence. Another word for being present right here in the now, in this moment, is the word inspired. I am inspired, standing on the cliff here, freezing my ass off, looking out to sea, talking to you. I actually am lost. If there wasn't a guardrail, I seriously would go over the edge right now. I am letting these words come through me, not from me. I am feeling the ocean, the wind, the breeze, the cold. I'm holding a cup of coffee, it's warm in my hands, but I am completely present. I am completely here, looking out to sea. I haven't got my eyes closed and drifting into Nana land and sprouting off stuff. What I'm doing is letting the words come through me by being 100% sensory present. I can smell the ocean, hear the ocean, feel the ocean, and the more I bring all those senses to one single spot, the more inspired I get. When I get inspired, my inner voice speaks louder than my outer voices. When I get uninspired, my outer voices, my worries, my emotions, my fear of failure, my uh, uncertainty about life, uh, 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 over, overwhelms me. So right now, I'm not worried about what people think. I'm not worried about how this is landing for you. I'm trusting and I'm knowing that if I'm fully present, feeling the beauty of nature in this spot, whatever I'm saying and whoever's listening, it's in the right zone. Presence. And another word for presence, as I say, is inspiration. Inspired by the moment. When the inner voice speaks louder than the outer, the inner voice, of course, doesn't come from you, it comes through you. The third aspect, as a helicopter passes overhead, is certainty. How in the hell do we get certainty? Well, it's a really ugly word because there's a lot of people who become hard-headed and fixed-minded to become certain. They say, I'm dead certain this is going to happen. And, and, and what we know when, we, when we're anywhere near that person that this certainty is fraud. The truth of the matter is, we can't have certainty that things are going to happen. We can't. We can have certainty of our intent. We have certainty of what we would love to have happen. We have certainty about all that, but we can't have certainty that it's going to happen. This helicopter above my head right now could, could bang into me if it wanted to. So we can't have certainty of that, but we can have certainty. Certainty comes from, ironically, flexibility. If I know that I'm holding onto this rail and the rail is wobbling in the wind and the, and the cliff is strong, as long as I keep moving around on my feet from side to side, I stay vertical. If I was to try and be rigid right here on the cliff, I definitely would blow over the cliff. Uh, there is no question about that. It's the fact that I can move my weight from one foot to the other, to move around, to morph in and out of situations, to not become emotional, to not make a stand, is, it means that I have absolute certainty that my intent is clean. So when, when we talk about this certainty thing, people get, as I say, hard-headed or rock solid or whatever it is, they believe that because they've written it, it's real. And that's just not. Certainty is flexibility. And that flexibility is never more clear than when you watch uh, martial arts and, and listen to the teachings of Bruce Lee, the great martial artist of, of Gone. 
of years gone by or the teachings of the Buddha or the Jesus and it says basically this when you make a stand you cause another person to make an oppie stand and a stance with an oppie stance causes resistance and makes people get into a fan dance which is a bloody nuisance because it all ends up in resistance and you lose your pants all right that's as far as it needs to go stance when you stand this is right that is wrong when you get righteous which is what's advocated in many religious idealisms such as in Christianity or in uh, Islam and sometimes with the Buddhist radicals and certainly with the Hindu radicals when people get fundamental they make a stand they say this is right and that's wrong there's a documentary I watched it for 10 minutes I didn't like it so I turned it off on Netflix at the moment about a church uh, what is what was it called uh, I don't know anyway it's a breakout from the Mormon church and it's 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 about making a stand and people get confused they think that the stand being made by the prophet the guy who's teaching all these people his stance is true because there's nobody in the commune is allowed to have an oppie stance so what he does just like uh, our old friend mr. Hitler is try to eliminate the resistance and of course you can incubate and isolate and go into an isolation tank and go into meditation to eliminate resistance but when you stand up and come out of it it doesn't sustain itself resistance is just builds and builds and builds and it's the same with our friend Adolf or Pol Pot or any of these mean bastards that have existed to try and eliminate resistance uh, in order to make a stance and have no oppie stance they've eventually been thumped the resistance built and that's the same with us when we make a stand I'm right the kids are wrong I'm right iPads should be put away I'm right uh, this is wrong I'm right don't be stressful I'm right I'm right I'm righteous whenever we make a righteous stand we breed its opposite we breed in people righteousness and nobody likes to feel wrong and so they push back and they push back hard and we try to eliminate them by uh, you know with the kids being angry with them or whatever it is but that doesn't work eventually they become naughtier and naughtier or they become more uh, or they find a an excuse to be the opposite so the middle path is neither right nor wrong the middle path just is you say to a kid go and clean your teeth and they go I don't want to you go All right, well that's up to you if you don't clean your teeth uh, we don't go to school or whatever it is there's a consequence it's not right to clean your teeth and they don't get punished for not cleaning their teeth but there's a consequence of it and I think this is very important how do you make a, a how you build certainty into the world you, you, you don't make a stand it's not uh, it's 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 if you're in a if you're a boxer and you make a stand you're going to end up on your back so no matter what field of life it is uh, righteousness is the shortcut to insecurity and uncertainty and if you meet people with depression or you meet people with uh, some mental health problems just have a look around for the area of their life they're most righteous about and you will find the source of their mental health problems moving on to the last one gratitude presence certainty and love 
I believe that when you have gratitude for the past, you're present inspired in the moment, and you have certainty, which means flexibility toward your end goal, so you know where you want to go, you're just pretty adaptable in the process of getting there, that love is automatic, but it doesn't have to be. And I think one of the things we do need to do in our lives is to, to reinforce the, the necessity for love as an element of leadership is to get outdoors into nature like I am right now talking to you. We need to stand on clifftops, on beaches, get our feet wet. I'm not talking about driving past expensive houses in a suburb and saying, I wish, I wish, I wish I. I'm not talking about riding a bike as fast as you can down a road. I'm talking seriously about getting your feet wet, getting your hair blown, getting your hands cold, getting your fingers. I'm not talking about swimming in the ocean or riding a bike or running fast through a forest and going, look at me, look at me. I'm talking about slowing down, stopping, admiring the view, getting your hands dirty, getting your feet wet, digging up a plant, sowing a garden, pulling weeds, pruning a flower, working with nature. Okay. Have a beautiful day. Bye for now. Woo! What a day for a daydream. Dreaming about my bundle of joy.